Well, good morning again. If you knew thus, welcome to Calvary. We uh, usually uh, would be going through John's Gospel here on Sunday morning. We uh, have put that on hold to do a special message, something the Lord laid on my heart. Let me just begin by saying back in the middle of March 2020, when the coronavirus uh, pandemic was first officially recognized, and many were gripped with fear, anxiety, and even panic. We didn't know at that point how bad it was going to be. So people were very scared, very nervous. Back in those days, I gave a special message I entitled, Fear Not, for I am with you. Now, I took that title from one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Isaiah 41, verse 10, which reads, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Well, that was 19 months ago. And this morning, I'd like to revisit that topic with a message I've entitled, Combating the Spirit of Fear. I don't think most of us would argue that a spirit of fear has fallen upon our nation. We see it every day in the number of people who walk around wearing multiple face masks and even face shields along with the face masks as they're driving in their cars alone or walking on the streets, they're terrified of getting COVID. There are many people who are so scared at the profit, uh, prospect of getting COVID that they have barely left their houses in the last year and a half. I've, I've heard of some. Many young couples refuse to take their children to see their grandparents who haven't been vaccinated. A lot of times older people have uh, uh, medical conditions that would make getting the vax uh, dangerous to them. So they have chosen not to get vaccinated. Well, um, many young couples are terrified at the prospect of their kids getting COVID and dying. So they're just not going to see grandma and grandpa with the kids, nor is grandma and grandpa welcome over to their house. In places like New York City, and I think there's other cities, I think LA is one, but in places like New York City, you can't go into a, a store or a restaurant or other places of business without showing a vaccine passport. And some are even advocating that people not be allowed into a hospital to get medical care if they haven't been vaccinated. Why? Well, because of fear and control, let's be honest. When we talk about the government, we're talking about control. But for the average American, it's fear. It's fear. And because of all this fear, and I, I've read the statistics, I'm sure you have too, I see it all the time. Because of all this fear in our society, alcohol and drug abuse are way up in our country, not to mention anxiety, depression, and even suicide. Suicides are way up. And now on top of all of that, the government, which is the largest employer in the country, and many other employers have mandated that their employees get vaccinated or lose their jobs. And uh, several of you have gotten letters from your employers saying that very thing. My own son in Arizona has gotten one of those letters. And of course, this has caused now fear on top of fear. Now they have to wrestle with the fear of um, those who, uh, those who, who uh, can't get the vaccine because of uh, medical conditions. Uh, some people have uh, conditions that uh, they're allergic to a lot. To get the vaccine could kill them. So they've opted not to get the vaccine. Others 
have opted not to get the vaccine out of fear of the consequences, the side effects of the vaccines. We're hearing that more and more. I don't care how many times they tell you it's safe, it's safe, it's safe. There's a lot of folks who are saying it's not safe. I know a lot of people. There's whole websites, if they let them continue, uh, they pulled some down that uh, people that have gotten the vaccine and have gotten very sick, some have died, their families have gone on there and uh, have said these very things. So people are afraid. And that's why a lot of people aren't getting the vaccine because they're just afraid of the consequences of getting it. Or others like myself who have had COVID. I'm not getting the, I'm not getting the vaccine because I already have the antibodies. Uh, a study out of Israel said that natural antibodies uh, for those who have gotten COVID are 27 times stronger than those antibodies that people have gotten from the vaccine. And they don't wear off. So a lot of us have opted not to get the vaccine because we have the antibodies in our systems. But for those who are not getting the vaccine uh, and their employers have mandated that, now they have to live with the fear of losing their jobs, not being able to pay their bills, provide for their families. Again, fear on top of fear. And this spirit of fear isn't limited to the world by any means. It has also fallen upon the church. Many Christians and churches uh, are gripped with fear, and uh, which is very sad because we know God's word clearly tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Guys, we all know that fear is from the devil, who uses it to control and separate us from one another, to steal our joy and our victory, which is in Jesus Christ. Look, Remember, a divided church is a defeated church. And yet many Christians have been taken captive by this spirit of fear and refuse to come back to church. They refuse to gather with other Christians for fellowship or even, you know, enjoy a simple barbecue in the backyard with family and friends because they're terrified of getting COVID, getting sick, maybe even dying. Even though the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, recently just said, and I'm quoting them, individuals are more likely to survive the coronavirus rather than dying from it. Most individuals are, I'll say, far more likely to survive the coronavirus after contracting it as opposed to dying from it. The health agency says, and I'm quoting them, if you have the virus between the ages of 0 and 70, you have a 99 percent survival rate and if you're over 70 the survival rate is nearly nearly 95 percent end quote now governor ron DeSantis tweeted uh in light of that very uh proclamation from the cdc uh, he said that uh, that uh, people in the age group of 0 to 19 have a 99.997 chance of survival after they contract contract covid19 uh, the age group from 20 to uh, age 20 to 49, a 99.98% chance of surviving. Uh, ages 50 to 69 years old, a 99.5% chance of surviving COVID. And 70 years and older, uh, 70 years and above, a 94.6% chance of surviving COVID without any intervention. It's prompting one reporter to say these statistics should make people not be so fearful. Uh, the writer, reporter said, get over the fear. Well, that's part of my message here, okay? Get over the fear. 
Look, as I said in the message I gave a year and a half ago, I would never want to minimize, minimize the severity of this pandemic. But I know the Lord doesn't want us to live in fear of it either. I just saw a news headline recently. The CDC's weekly U.S. mortality dashboard reports that deaths are at the lowest weekly point since March of 2020. Prompting one reporter to say, you didn't know about, you, he said, you didn't know that. He said, you didn't know that, did you? With the Delta variant raging and all that, you probably thought the mortality rate was through the roof. It's not. Although you wouldn't get that from the news. He said, pediatric mortality from COVID in Florida. Why pick on Florida? Because they're the super spreader event of the country. Governor Ron DeSantis hasn't locked down schools. He hasn't closed businesses. He hasn't mandated mask wearing. Kids can go to school without masks. He's going to kill the entire state, they were going on the news saying. Well, let's look at the state, okay? The author says pediatric mortality from COVID-19 in Florida, listen, is below flu levels. Below flu levels. For all of 2020, there were 22 pediatric deaths from influenza in Florida. He said 20, excuse me, 70 children died from drowning, 83 died from strangulation, but for all of 2020 and 2021 combined, there have been only 15 pediatric, pediatric deaths from COVID-19, end quote. Guys, those other risks like drowning and suffocating are far more significant for a child. In other words, uh, children will die by suffocation and drowning uh, far more than COVID. In fact, COVID-19 has been the least likely cause of death for kids in the United States. I just pulled this, uh, these stats off the web, okay? Uh, ages one to four. Because now it's like, you know, if you don't get your kids vaccinated, now they've approved this vaccine for kids, right? So now the push is getting your kids vaccinated. That's the big push now, right? And if you don't get your kids vaccinated, you don't love your kids. You're, you're going you, to you're gonna kill your kids if you don't get them vaccinated, right? Okay, let's look at this. From ages one to four, this is now United States wide. Ages one to four, drowning kills 2.8 children for every 100,000 in this country. Vehicle accidents kill 2.3 kids per every 100,000. Homicide kills 2.2. Cancer kills 2.0. Cardiovascular disease kills 1.0. The flu slash pneumonia kills 0.8 children for every 100,000 in this country. Suffocation kills 0.7. COVID kills 0.2. That's ages 1 to 4. How about ages 5 to 14? Cancer kills 2.1 children for every 100,000 kids in this country. Vehicle accidents kill 1.9 children. Suicide kills 1.5. Homicides kill 0.7. Cardiovascular disease kills 0.6. Drowning kills 0.5% of kids per 100,000. The flu slash pneumonia kills 0.8. Suffocation kills 0.2. And COVID kills 0.2 children for every 100,000 in this country. 0.2. Now, please, I'm not trying to minimize or downplay the number of children, or adults for that matter, that have died from COVID. Any, any death of a child, a young person, an adult, is a tragedy, no doubt about it. 
But the news media, the medical community, and the federal government, for some strange reason, I think some of us can figure out why, but for some strange reason, have all been upplaying. I don't want to downplay. They've been upplaying this pandemic, making it seem much worse than it is. I have read, and no doubt you have read, multiple stories. I just saw a nurse. They blocked out her face, uh, but she's not alone. Nurses, doctors, I have seen them uh, in the news. I've seen them on TV. Whistleblowers that have said, in hospitals, that have said the numbers of COVID deaths are purposely being inflated. Purposely being inflated. Again, any deaths from COVID-19 are too many, especially if it's someone that you love that has died. Not trying to minimize this. I'm just saying that much of our so-called experts in the news media, medical community, and in our government agencies, I don't know if they're being controlled by a demonic spirit of fear themselves or they have an agenda, but they are certainly fueling a fear among the rest of the country. I think it's a demonic fear. I think it's a demonic fear. But um, these agencies, again, news media, medical community, not all but much of the medical community, our federal government and other agencies are promoting, for some reason, promoting and disseminating misinformation to control the rest of us with fear. And they have been doing an excellent job um, achieving their agenda. One Christian writer said, and I'm quoting, there is a demonic spirit of fear suffocating the earth. You know I'm right. The spirit of fear is destroying relationships and tearing the church apart. Unvaccinated grandparents are being told by their children that they can't see their grandkids and not to come around themselves. Bizarrely, bizarrely, vaccinated members of your church are fearful and distrusting of their unvaccinated brothers and sisters. Well, I hope not our church. I don't really see it here, but the church in general across the country. He said, but Christians in particular are not supposed to fear. This spirit of fear has caused a tsunami of worldwide terror and destruction, end quote. Guys, fear is a tool of the devil. Again, God has not given us a spirit of fear, the Bible tells us. Fear is a very powerful weapon the enemy tries to use against the people of God. Everybody, but he's really looking to target the people of God because we're the greatest threat to his kingdom. But someone has said about fear in general, he said, and I quote, Fear is the most crippling human emotion. It paralyzes soldiers in the midst of battle and keeps Christians from sharing the life-saving message of the gospel to the, with those who are lost, end quote. In the scriptures, there are places that admonish us to fear some things. You know that, right? Even extolling some kinds of fear is a virtue. I'll give you a couple examples. Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's a good thing, right? That kind of fear is good virtuous. Isaiah 66, verse 2. God said, but on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word, or in other words, fears 
to disobey me. That's good fear. But in contrast, there are over 300 places in the Bible where we are commanded by God as his people not to fear certain things. We are commanded in Scripture not to fear man, not to fear crises, not to fear the uncertainty of the future, just to name a few. What causes fear? Well, first of all, we become fearful when we lose the awareness of God's presence in our lives. Let me say it again. We become fearful when we lose the awareness of God's presence in our lives. And therefore, the antidote, and I'll call it the poison of fear, the antidote for the poison of fear is to remember that God is with his people. Hebrews 13, verse 5 says, For he himself, the Lord God, he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, that's a promise from God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We have entered into a relationship with him through covenant. It's like a marriage relationship. And we might walk away from him. We are often unfaithful to our vows to him, to stay by his side, be faithful to him, like in a marriage. But like Israel played the harlot, committed adultery with the Lord. She was married to, to the Lord God Almighty too. But even if we walk a million mile, miles away from God, if we will stop, repent, turn around, we will discover he's right there. He has never left us because he takes his vows seriously. And he promised to stay with us, never to leave us nor forsake us, no matter what we do. So first of all, we become fearful when we lose the awareness of God's presence in our lives. Number two, we become fearful when we, when we stop trusting God to watch over us and take care of us. Again, let me read to you Isaiah 41, verse 10, but also now verse 13. Where God says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Verse 13. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. You get the image of a parent holding a little child's hand? How comforting is that? How beautiful is that image planted in our heads? Where when we're going through various trials and tribulations, God is not only with us, he's holding our hands, walking us through it. Because he loves us. Uh, yeah, we're married to him, but in another metaphor, we're his kids. We're his, he's our father God. Fear not, I will help you. So guys, those two things are the cause of fear, but what about the consequence of the result of fear? Look, fear and its companion worry, they always go hand in hand robs us of our peace and joy. Now, there's other things, but those are the big things I think of. Fear and worry rob us of our peace and joy. Why is that? Because it robs us of our faith. Hold on to that thought. I want to build the rest of this message on that idea. Fear and worry rob us of our peace and joy because it robs us of our faith. And so simply put, the cure for fear is faith. It's trusting, putting our trust in the Lord. 
The psalmist said in Psalm 56, verse 11, I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Well, they can do a lot. But as Jesus said, at worst, they can only kill the body and do no more. Now, I realize that's a lot. Okay, I'm not minimizing that. Uh, but you know what? We're all going to die eventually anyways. Whether we die sooner or later, it's what happens to us after we die that's important. And that's what the psalmist is picking up on. I trust in God. Why should I be afraid? Is that true? Look, in times of, of good and peace and plenty and where everything's going great and the skies are blue and, and so on, um, when we come to church and we hear a statement like that, uh, I, I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? Everyone's nodding their heads. And I believe you mean it. I mean it. I really do trust in God. But then it's one thing to have head knowledge. It's another thing to when, when you have to live it out in your life. And so every once in a while, God takes this faith we say we have and he puts it to the test. Do you really trust me? You say you do. But has your faith ever really been tested to prove you trust me? Right? Psalm 56, verse 3. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Look, even godly men and women who have faith can sometimes waver in their faith. Abraham was called the father of faith. And there were times in his life where he wavered. I mean, ultimately, he got through it and he did put his trust back in God again. And, and that's what we need to do. Uh, faith is, a, is a, a walk. It's an everyday thing. God doesn't just dump a whole bunch of faith on us and we coast the rest of our lives. It's there, but it kind of ebbs and flows. It comes and goes. We have to, in any given situation that we are facing, whatever crisis it is, sometimes we're overwhelmed by the size of the enemy or the adversity, and our faith begins to waver. We have to stop. We have to center ourselves by saying, wait, God is on the throne. Hold on to that thought. I do trust in him. Is this scary? Okay. I'm a little scared here. But you know what? I do trust in my God. And that steadies our faith. All right? Let me illustrate the relationship of fear and faith to each other with a story. With a story. It goes like this. At a certain college, there was a professor with a reputation for being tough on Christians. At the first class every semester, he asked if anyone was a Christian and proceeded to denigrate or degrade and mock their statement of faith. One semester, he asked the question, and a young man raised his hand when he asked if anyone was a Christian. The professor asked, did God make everything, young man? Well, yes, he did, sir, the young man replied. The professor responded, well, if God made everything, then God made evil. And if we can only create from within ourselves, then God is evil. The student didn't have a response, and the professor was happy to have once again proved the Christian faith to be a myth. Then another man raised his hand and asked, May I ask you something, sir? Yes, you may, responded the professor. The young man stood up and said, Sir, is there such a thing as cold? Well, of course there is. What kind of question is that? Haven't you ever been cold? The young man replied, Actually, sir, cold does not exist. What we consider to be cold is really only the absence of heat. 
Absolute zero is when there is absolutely no heat, but cold does not really exist. We have only created that term to describe how we feel when heat is not there. The young man continued, sir, is there such a thing as darkness? Once again, the professor responded, of course there is. And once again, the student replied, well, actually, sir, darkness does not exist. Darkness is really only the absence of light. Darkness is only a term man developed to describe what happens when there is no light present. Finally, the young man asked, sir, is there such a thing as evil? The professor responded, well, of course. We have rapes and murders and violence everywhere in the world. Those things are evil. The student replied, actually, sir, evil does not exist. Evil is a term man developed to describe the absence of God. God did not create evil. It isn't like truth or love, which exist as virtues, like heat and light. Evil is simply the state where God is not present, like cold without heat or darkness without light. The professor had nothing to say. Amen. Would to God more of our professors had nothing to say. Our kids would be a lot better off. But guys, I think in, in that sense, I think the same thing is true when we speak of fear. Fear is really only the absence of faith. Fear is really only the absence of faith. That's why fear is so bad for you spiritually. Because it's the absence of faith, and faith is our spiritual umbilical cord that connects us to God and allows everything we need to survive and flourish spiritually to flow from God to us. Fear, and, God, and the devil uses this, fear strangles that flow and cuts it off. So what God wants to come into our lives is cut off, strangled out of our life. And so when we talk about overcoming fear, we really need to talk about increasing our faith. As our faith increases, our fear will decrease proportionately. Look at it this way. How do you overcome darkness? By turning on the light. How do you overcome cold? By turning up the heat. How do you overcome fear? By spending years in therapy and learning how to fight fear? No. As a believer, you overcome fear and worry by increasing your faith. How do I do that, you may ask? Well, the Bible says simply, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Amen. Fear and faith are mutually exclusive. In other words, you can't walk in faith while at the same time live in fear. And this goes for whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. But we must choose. Listen, we must choose what is going to dominate our hearts. Faith or fear in any given situation. We have to choose that. It's not going to happen automatically. Well, it will in a sense. If you don't choose faith, it will. your heart will revert to fear. The psalmist said in Psalm 46, verses 1 to 3, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We could personalize it. Therefore, I choose not to fear. It's my choice. I choose in times of, of uh, trouble. I choose not to fear is what the psalmist is saying. 
He goes on, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, I will choose not to fear. Habakkuk, chapter 3. You all know these verses. Verses 17 and 18. Where he said, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. He's describing a situation where we have, you have absolutely no means of sustenance. There is, you know, we, we would say it, though every supermarket shelves are empty, yet there is absolutely nowhere to buy food and, and to live. Yet all that is going on, he says, yet I, let me paraphrase, yet I will choose to rejoice in the Lord. I will choose joy in God, in the God of my salvation. Why? Because the psalmist knew that life is all about tests, Christian life. In fact, life in general, some would say, I heard one author say that uh, all, all of life is simply man at the crossroads. Uh, we're always standing at a decision point. And depending on what we choose will depend where our path takes us next. People that are fearful are going to choose things that are going to take them farther away from God. Christians who are, are full of faith are going to choose things that are going to draw them closer to God. It's all a test, guys. You have to understand it. All of life, and I'm talking about the Christian life now, is a series of tests. All of it. So whatever happens, whatever comes our way, God is there. He's walking us through it. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear. He's with me. Because it's all a test to build my faith develop a closer walk with him that he might ultimately use me and you in greater ways for his glory. We lose sight of that. And we look at the circumstances and become terrified at times. Forgetting he's with us. He's got us by the hand. This has all been designed by him. All things are working together for good to those that love God and are called according to his, pur to his purpose. It's all according to his plan to build us and strengthen us. Guys, in the days ahead, our faith might be tested in ways we wouldn't even have thought possible a few months ago or a year and a half ago, a half ago for that matter. I mean, we don't know what's coming down the road. Whether our faith is tested by this thing we're facing right now or something else coming down the road, um, I believe that our faith is going to be tested in ways we never thought possible, especially a few months ago. The devil will no doubt try to come at, his, at the people of God like a flood to overwhelm us with fear and the uncertainty of the future. I mean, didn't Jesus say in Luke 21, 26, people's hearts in the days just prior to his return, he said people's hearts would be failing them from fear for those things that were coming upon the earth. So what do we do? if we find ourselves in difficult and even frightening situations that seek to rob us of our faith and fill us with fear? What do we do? Well, let me give you six things 
And guys, these are so basic, I'm not going to even really explain them. I'm not going to be really teaching you anything you don't know. I'm just putting you in remembrance of what you do know. That's why we don't have to spend a lot of time explaining these things, okay? Very basic. So what do you do when you're facing um, circumstances, adversities, that are kind of terrifying at times to look at? Well, the first thing you do is remember that God is still on the throne. Or, to put it another way, the theologians will say that he is sovereign. Which means he's in control. He's in control. I mean, the first thing we always do in the face of any difficult or frightening circumstance is to remind ourselves that God is in control of every situation. He is sovereign. And therefore, honestly, what are we worried about? The psalmist in Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Now, he's talking to himself. And I said, first service, it's okay to talk to yourself. Uh, my son-in-law was over yesterday doing some work in the bathroom, our bathroom for us, and I was out in the living room, and I was doing something, and I was talking to myself. He thought I was talking to him. And he said, Dad, you have a question? I said, oh, no, 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 Zach, I'm just talking to myself. Now, if I ever start arguing with myself, Call someone. That's not good. It's okay to talk to yourself, to reassure yourself about certain things, especially divine truth, right? So, you know, the psalmist was going through a pretty bad time. He was feeling very discouraged, probably even depressed. His soul was cast down. That's what that phrase means. Why are you cast down, oh, my soul? Well, we can all relate, right? And why are you disquieted, Within me, soul. Don't you hope in God? Hope in God is what he's saying. For I shall yet praise him for all the help of his countenance. We're going to get through this. That's a test. And when I come through it, I'm, I'm going to be, my faith is going to be refined more than precious gold. It's all a test. And I'm going to again Praise him for the help of his countenance. He's with me. He hasn't left me. Guys, when I'm facing, or you're facing a terrible problem, you know, we can go on being fearful, depressed, discouraged, even defeated. Or we can say to ourselves like the psalmist said in Psalm 40, verse, verses 1 to 3. Let me paraphrase. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Boy, I said that to myself a lot of times. What is wrong with you? I haven't quite gotten the answer for myself yet. But what's wrong with you? God is still on the throne. I mean, he is with me in this circumstance. He'll see me through this. I mean, hasn't he always come through in the past? What am I worried about this for? He's always taking care of me. Has, hasn't he taken care of you? I'm going to hope in him, and he will deliver me out of this circumstance and pull me out of the pit and put my feet on the rock and put a new song of praise in my heart. Remember that God is on the throne. Nothing has changed. He hasn't abandoned us. Number two, in the face of great adversity and uncertainty, take some time to quiet your heart in God's presence. Now, this is something a lot of Christians don't do, I'm convinced. They really don't. You know, when something happens where your whole world is shaken or something is coming down the road that you know is monumental, 
and not in a good way. You know, the world runs to the liquor closet or the medicine cabinet. The world runs to alcohol and pills to numb themselves. Christians, we ought to run to the Lord our God. The psalmist says, Psalm 27, verse 14, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage. The idea in the Hebrew of wait is just be still. Didn't he say with Psalm 46, verse 10, Be still and know that I'm God. Be still. Stop running around like a crazy person. Just stop. You know, every time you come into God's presence for prayer, you don't really have to say something. Not every time. What do I mean? Well, you can just sit quietly in his presence and just soak up his strength. He knows where you're there. He knows what's going on. You don't have to just blurt everything out. Just say, God, I need you. I'm just going to sit here for a little bit. Or maybe you prostrate yourself on your living room floor or bedroom. I'm just going to, Lord, I'm just going to be in your presence. You know what's going on. I need, I need your strength right now. My soul is just all worked up with anxiety and fear. I need to just quietly spend some time in your presence. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Isaiah 30, verse 15. In quietness, again, just don't even talk. Just quietly be in God's presence. In quietness and confidence, God said, shall be your strength. Just be still and know that I'm God. Be confident I can work anything out. Nothing is impossible for me. Remind yourself of these things. They're not new truths. But Peter said, even though you know some, some things, I feel the need to put you in remembrance of some things. That's what I'm doing. I'm not teaching you anything you don't already, already know. But I'm reminding you, right? Guys, when you're feeling, or excuse me, when you're facing terrible news, don't panic or rely on your own strength. Spend some time in his presence and let him calm and strengthen you. Number three, take refuge in his word and cling to his promises. You say, well, that's kind of basic, isn't it? You'd be shocked at how many people don't run to the word for their strength. I mean, there's a lot of Christians, I'm sorry to say, that they're really only in the word when they come to church on a Sunday and we ask them to open it. During our fast this last week, I don't know about you, but I ended the week feeling very weak, very worn out. I felt like a dry well. I felt like my walk in some ways was on life support. I just felt worn out, and I was scared at how dry I felt. I had cultivated a bad habit, which I used to not do. In the morning, I used to just get up and spend time in the Word. I got away from that for some reason. I think what happened was we were going through a very, very difficult period in our nation history, and I just started opening up my computer and reading the news because I wanted to see what was going on, and that became a habit. You start your day with that garbage. What's the old saying, garbage in what? Yeah. You talk about filling yourself with the world's garbage, you're going to feel anxious and, you know, 
So I purposed this week, I was going to just, again, get back to getting up early, opening my Bible and reading. I cannot tell you what a soothing balm that was. Oh my goodness. Whatever little ember was still glowing, God began to fan. And he began to strengthen me. I began to feel his presence. I can't tell you how important it is to start your day with God's word. And especially if you're going through adversity and trials or some circumstance that has you basically like you're going to lose your job if you don't get vaccinated. But you're terrified of being vaccinated. So now what do you do? You get in the word. And you cling to his promises. I'll give you just a couple. Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, where God told Joshua, now he was taking over from Moses. Talk about some big sandals to fill. And God was going to have Joshua lead the people of God into the promised land. But in that promised land, there were, there were literal giants, literal giants. And the first stronghold of the enemy they were going to go up against God's people was Jericho. From what I've been able to study, Jericho was one of the strongest strongholds of the enemy in the land of Canaan. And what do you got? A bunch of nomads have been wandering through the desert for 40 years. We're talking about some of the strongest military in the promised land. It's like when God put his hand on our forefathers, farmers, to put, put down their pitchforks and shovels and pick up muskets, simple farmers, to go against the strongest and most sophisticated army in the world at that time, the British Army. But he was with them. And they had to comfort themselves constantly in the word, right? This is what God is doing for Joshua. God, God says, Joshua, the book of the law, that's like saying the word of God, my word, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it and day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. These are some of the great and precious promises in God's word that we need to, to read, to understand, and to embrace like you're holding on for your life. Because sometimes you are. I'm with you. You want victory? You want strength? You meditate on my word. Be in the word and meditate on it. Because then you'll make your way successful then you will have victory. Psalm 34, verses 17 to 19. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have, who have a broken heart, and save such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But listen, the Lord delivers him, her, out of them all. It's all a test. Many are the afflictions of God's people. Why? Because God wants it that way. What? He said in the book of Deuteronomy, before he led him into the promised land, warfare is good for you. I am not going to drive the enemy out all in one day. But little by little, as you have gained strength, I will give you victory. But warfare is good for you, he said, because it keeps you on your knees. It keeps you close to me. This is the idea. But everything is designed by God is a test. It was good to, for me to have been afflicted, David said. For, now I have learned to keep your word. Affliction, adversity, these are things that God uses to prune our lives. Remember we talked about this? We were in John 15. 
that God uses the pruning life of adversity to prune from our lives the things that are hindering our growth and ultimately our fruitfulness. No, it's not pleasant, but it's necessary for us to grow and be all that God wants us to be. Number four, spend some time worshiping the Lord. Now, guys, we know that praise is a manifestation of faith. I'm talking about praise from the heart, not just mouthing words. I'm talking about genuine praise from the heart is a manifestation of faith. And without faith, it is impossible, Hebrews 11, verse 6 tells us, to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We don't praise God for the circumstance, right? We praise God in the circumstance. I think we all know that, right? Oh, praise God, my car just blew up. Oh, praise God, is that wonderful? No, that's ridiculous. I mean, you know, that's not even normal. There are, there are Christians who think that's spiritual. Oh, praise God, you know. You know, lost my job, the house burned down, the dog died, but praise God, everything's great. Hey, look. I'm not saying it's good your dog dies. I'm just saying that we, we, we praise God in the circumstance, not necessarily for the circumstance. We are commanded in Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Listen, in everything, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Why? Why should we in everything give thanks? Because Romans 8.28, because everything is working together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Everything. And so I believe that offering up praise to God in the midst of whatever terrible circumstance you're going through, you know what that does? It gets your eyes off the circumstance, off the problem, off the storm, and get your eyes on God. Isn't that what praise does? You're, you're going through this terrible thing. We, you know, but the Bible likens adversity and problems and, and troubles and trials to storms, right? To storms. And when you're going through a severe storm and you start praising God, it automatically gets your eyes off the storm and gets your eyes on God. Suddenly everything comes into perspective, doesn't it? Because with God, nothing is hard or impossible. As some first service, you can block out something as big as the sun with your hand if you put it close enough to your face. That's like your problems. You can block out the greatness of God, who is infinitely large. You can blot out God's greatness with your problems if you just get up close enough to him. Very important that we understand this, right? Whenever we're going through one of those storms of life, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Didn't Peter learn this lesson firsthand? He was walking on the water right in the Sea of Galilee uh, in the storm. He's walking to Jesus, and as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was doing the impossible. He's walking on water. As soon as he got his eyes off the Lord, began to look at his circumstances, and all began to focus on the storm, he began to sink. He had to cry out a quick prayer, Lord, save me. And Jesus did pull him out. But the idea is we must keep our eyes on the Lord. And how do we do that? Well, again, primarily by looking at God in the pages of Scripture. But, but some would say, what, what if I don't feel like praising God when I'm going through trials and storms? I just don't feel like praising Him. That's why the Bible calls it a sacrifice of praise, right? Hebrews 13, verse 15. Sure, we don't feel. Come on. 
often we don't feel like worshiping God, praising God when we're going through a difficult storm. We don't feel like it. Our flesh doesn't. Our flesh wants us to feel sorry for ourselves. Our flesh wants us to, to, to look inward and to focus on the problem and, and to play the victim and so on. God is saying, this is a test. Keep your eyes on me and you'll get through this. We'll get through it together. Guys, I have been encouraged and strengthened many times in my walk over the years when facing difficult circumstances by taking time to get alone with God, putting on some praise and worship music, and just sitting there in His presence. And I'm telling you, as I'm listening to this praise music, it just begins to take over my thinking. It begins to dominate my thoughts. I begin to remember who I'm talking about, who I, who I belong to. And all of a sudden, I find myself praising God in the storm. And it's no longer something that is overwhelming me. Now God's grace, His presence, that's overwhelming me. Guys, guys, praising God for what He's going to do, even before He does anything, is a manifestation of faith, which is essential if God's power is going to flow into our lives and help us in our time of need. Faith. Number five, what do you do? You pray. It's not very deep, Pastor. No, I told you these weren't very deep. But you'd be shocked at how many Christians don't pray. That's not their first thing they do when they're facing some crisis. For a lot of Christians, most of their time initially is spent trying to figure out how they're going to fix the problem. They haven't cultivated a kind of a prayer life that is almost, um, uh, what's the word? Um, where, the, where the doctor hits you in the knee and your knee... Okay, reflex. We need reflexive prayer life. Thank you, Dr. Susan. It's a real doctor. I knew she would know the answer. Um, we need a reflexive prayer life. What does that mean? Crisis comes, boom. Are, are we, it's almost, we're not even thinking of it. We just, we react with prayer. That's when you know you're walking with God. That's when you know you're walking in the Spirit. But so often, Christians don't do that. I, I love Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Read to you the NLT 2nd edition, where Paul says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Right? Pray. About everything. Bring it to God. Again, so often we want to try to figure out how to fix things. But I, I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. For many of you, it's become some of your life verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do. And he will show you which path to take. Now, so many of God's promises are conditional, like this one. We have a part, and God is a part. I can't do God's part, and he won't do my part. So here's my part. Trust in the Lord with all your heart when you're facing a crisis, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding of the situation. Uh, seek his will in all you do. That's, your, that's our part. 
what's God's part, and he will show you which path to take. He'll show you what you need to do where the problem will be taken care of. And number six, obey God completely and with all your heart. Obey God completely and with all your heart in all, all he tells you to do. Okay? And underline the word all. Because sometimes we think if we do most of what God has said, that should be good enough. Obey God completely and with all your heart in all he tells you to do. And the very first thing he is telling you and me to do when we face um, adversity and so on is not to fear. That's the first thing. Don't fear. Okay? Now, there are other things. Uh, say that, uh, you know, you've just been to the doctor, you've got a report back, you have the beginning of cirrhosis of the liver, and God says to you what you need to do. You come to God now, you're really desperate. You come to God and say, Lord, please heal me. And God might say to you, you first thing you do is you purge your house of all alcohol. Oh, but can I keep that bottle of wine? It's pretty expensive. All of it. Get rid of all of it. Then I will give you grace and strength not to go back to it. Purge your house of the cigarettes, the pornography, or whatever else. It's got you in bondage. I was telling first service, I heard one pastor say one time, it wasn't alcohol or drugs that had him in bondage, it was chocolate ice cream. <laughs> he just had to have it in the house. It was like a crutch to him, you know. Problems come, get out the ice cream, right? Well, you know, okay, we laugh. But whatever it is that is kind of a crutch, God says, I don't want anything to be a crutch in your life but me. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. It could be even something, though, where God says, you know what? You want a deeper walk with me? That's what you're asking me? I want that, too. But before we're going to go further in our walk together, you need to go and you need to make amends with the person you're at odds with. Sometimes that's your spouse or one of your kids or a friend. Whatever it might be, there are things hindering our walk with God. We come to him in prayer. He tells us what to do. Now we have to obey all that he says. And then the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Look, guys, we're done. Aren't you glad you know Jesus? I, I sure am. I mean, what peace there is from knowing that our future is secure as children of God, and that we don't need to fear what's coming. And I'm talking now directly to those of you who have gotten notices that say you're going to be losing your job in a week or two if you don't get vaccinated. That's scary stuff. Can I have you turn to Matthew 6 and we'll close? All right, one more scripture. And again, you all know it. But as Peter said, it's good to put ourselves in remembrance of God's promises. Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 25. Again, I'll read it to you out of the New Living Translation, 2nd edition. Jesus is speaking. He's talking to his disciples, by the way, not to the multitudes. This is for believers. He said, I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or enough to drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? I mean, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Verse 27, can all, you, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? 
And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, will he, cert he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Well, that's a, qu a question that God would be saying to many of his people today. Why is your, have you so little faith? Don't worry, Jesus said, about these things, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your Heavenly Father already knows all your, all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need in the physical. Doesn't He know what we need in the physical realm? He made us. He knows we need to eat. We need to have clothing. We need to have a place to live. He understands that and fully intends to give us these things, but he doesn't want us living at the level of the physical. He wants us to live up here at the level of the spirit, the spirit life. And be preoccupied with the things of the kingdom and helping others to know him and discipling and so on. If that is our, our, what we're consumed with, everything else we need in the physical, he will take care of us. It's a promise. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Enough trouble in every day, right? Today's trouble is enough for today. And so may God give us grace. Look, we need to be, we need to be uh, aware of our family here. And if somebody gets uh, fired and we know that they need food, they need something else, you know, it's our responsibility to pray about helping them physically. That's how God does provide many times, through his people. But in general, God is going to take care of all of us. And we don't know what the future is going to bring. We don't know what adversity is coming down the pike. But we have this, God's promises. I don't have to know the future because I know God. And if I know him and know what he has promised, then what am I worried about? He's going to take care of us. He's going to provide for us. And so we need to comfort ourselves with these things. And, and may God give us the grace to not live in fear. But to every time the devil wants to kind of take us captive through fear, we just stop and start praising God. What am I worried about? He's on the throne. And so may God give us that grace. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are on the throne, that you are sovereign, that you've made us many great and precious promises that are as good as done. We ask you, Lord, to just fill our hearts with faith and that it would push out the fear and that, Lord, you would just be with us as I know you will be. You are with us. But, Lord, that you will protect all of us, Lord, um, from COVID, some who are vaccinated, some who aren't vaccinated, Lord. We just pray that you protect your people, uh, Lord, that you would protect us from whatever pestilence is stalking the earth right now. Protect us, watch over us, Lord. And we just want to rest in you. Give us grace to do that and uh, to lay down at night and sleep well because you're watching over us. Uh, you, you're always on duty. You're always guarding us. We don't ever have to fear anything. We thank you, Lord. We ask all this now in your precious name. Amen.